listen, pay attention what immigrants bring in, and they do bring a lot. We were forgotten refugees from Bhutan, and we have no other hopes than to accept this country. And we want to invest in this country. We want to grow in this country. Whatever we do will be for this country. Those were the voices of Buwan Gatam and Josefina Lance. Buwan came to the U.S. from Bhutan after many years of living in a refugee camp. Josefina came to the U.S. on vacation from Slovenia, and while here, met her future husband. Although their journeys were quite different, both Buwan and Josefina now draw upon their experience to help other immigrants. Hi, I'm John Vosi, executive producer of Words in Transit. Words in Transit is a project of New England Public Radio and is being offered in conjunction with the release of a book of the same name, published by the University of Massachusetts Press. Our goal was to bring the national conversation on immigration home to our community here in western Massachusetts and to present stories of individuals that have settled in the United States from around the world. We spoke with immigrants from Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and Latin America. Here's Tama Silk, the managing director of Words in Transit, to tell us more about Buwan and Josefina. Josefina Lance was raised in what was formerly known as Yugoslavia, For five years, until shortly before she was born in 1953, Josefina's father served a term as a political prisoner in Montenegro. So Josefina grew up with a strong sense of how unjustly people in power can treat ordinary citizens. As a young woman, she took a trip to this country to visit relatives and met her future husband here. Adamant that they be able to settle near her family, the couple returned to Josefina's native home to live, But two years into their time there, in the early 80s, her husband's work visa was revoked. The couple was forced to return to the United States to settle, and they've lived here ever since. Josefina's life's work has always involved helping new immigrants to adjust to life here in America. Here's Josefina. My father was a survivor of torture. So I grew up in a family where my father was very much affected by his experiences and There's a little things in family that, you know, seep out and injustice of it all. This was from 1947 to 52. I was born in 53 on the coast of Montenegro. So uh, lived there for 12 years, and then my parents moved to Slovenia, which is a northern part, which now is a country. So I grew up there, went to school and so on, always loved traveling and sort of national sport in uh, Slovenia to travel. And I have come to U.S. where I do have an aunt who lives in Chicago with her family to visit and to travel through United States. have taken uh, three months off just for that and met my husband <laughs> in my travels. So we decided that dating across the ocean was not prudent. We were already both mature adults in close to 30, and have decided to get married. Then my husband followed me to Slovenia because I was determined never to be an immigrant. I thought I would miss my family and I would miss my ways and my country and all the familiar, uh, my friends, all the familiar things too much to do that. You know, to just willingly become immigrant, I was not in danger or at that time nothing was going on in Yugoslavia in a way that you felt you had to leave. But that was the beginning of turmoil in Yugoslavia. And in 84, after two years of marriage and living in Slovenia, 
My husband's visa was revoked and he was given only three weeks. Unemployment was very high, over 20% at that time. I think it was like 24% or something. Nobody could employ anybody who is foreign without justifying that they could not find somebody from within the country. So he could not get work for two years. So he promptly wrote to his parents and asked for support. He is from Long Island. Of course, they did extend their support, and we then came to Long Island to see whether we can work something out. We stayed in on Long Island for nine months with my in-laws and then moved to Worcester, which is where his sister lives, and we thought it would be good to have a relative and start here anew. And my daughter at that time was only not even a year old yet, so I stayed at home for several months and then started working in various jobs from home health aid to work at a homeless shelter, working with mentally disabled people. And finally, after years of that, I started working with Lutheran Social Services at that time, which is where I'm still here. So that's a work part of it. We had a second child. But the beginning of that was not an easy process, not only culturally, but also legally, because U.S. government or immigration actually decided not to grant me a visa past the temporary stay for three years. <laughs> we had attorney who had to take immigration offices to court to force the decision. A finally, decision was done, and it was sort of funny thing how that works because worker who we saw for the final time said, well, what's the issue here? And I said, I don't know. It's, he said, there is no issue. He signed and we were done. It's not easy to be an immigrant. Most difficult for me were small things. Going to the store and not finding what I wanted to buy in way of either food or other items. I was trying to make a first birthday cake for my daughter. And because the place we were living had cake mixes, but not items I needed to make a cake from a scratch. And I was absolutely desperate, not even realizing that I could just use that. I think Americans are probably the most friendly people. You can come to the store and people are smiling and are open to friendship and easygoing. Americans are very willing to help. And I got to say, much more than people from my own culture. This is sort of ingrained in American culture, to volunteering, to assisting, to helping. That is not so in other places. People don't understand what it is to volunteer. I mean, I understand what it is to volunteer, but they're not compelled to do so. For the Americans who are accepting immigrants in their midst. I really want to say that that's an admirable situation. I absolutely appreciate the goodwill and resources and hard work that goes into that assistance to people who are really needy. Listen, pay attention what immigrants bring in, and they do bring a lot. Einstein was a refugee there for immigrants, so there is a lot brought into the country. So if we can all rally about that and look for the best, that would be the best. <laughs> that was the voice of Josephina Lance. Now we'll turn to Buwan Gotam. Buwan was around eight or nine when his family was forced to flee Bhutan, a landlocked country in Asia where an ethnic cleansing of Nepali-speaking Hindus was taking place. The family escaped on foot and landed eventually at a refugee camp in Nepal, where Buwan endured squalid conditions for the next 16 years. Applying for a visa as soon as the United States and other countries began offering to resettle refugees in 2007, 
Luan was the first from his family to leave the camp. In Springfield, Massachusetts, he made his way, renting and setting up an apartment so his parents and other family members could leave the camp and join him. Buwan's narrative offers us an in-depth look at some of the aspects of the complicated vetting process for refugees. And he makes a sincere plea that Americans welcome and value refugees into their communities. He's dedicated his time in America to creating a vibrant Bhutanese community in the Springfield-Westfield area. Now, here's Buwan. I came from Bhutan to Nepal in 1992. I became refugee along with my parents for 16 years. In 1989, the royal government of Bhutan adopted ethnic cleansing policy and which forced around one-seventh of the total uh, population who were Nepali-speaking people who practiced Hinduism, and they were forced to leave the country, and they lived in refugee camp in Nepal seeking asylum. Leaving Bhutan, I was uh, very young. I was eight, nine years old. My parents decided to leave at the middle of the night without telling anybody because of the fear of the arrest and persecution even without telling even own siblings. And all I remember is following the steps and footpath of my parents. Our journey started without any destination. My father had some forms of distant relatives in India that uh, he wanted there and spent some days until we found the transportation to get into Nepal. We were dumped into a truck and people were brought from the part of India to refugee camp in Nepal. It is very hard living in the camp. Hearts are just like um, when you take camping in this country, what else do you have? You have something to eat and a small camp in a plastic hut. So refugee camps are just like that. There is no enough drinking water. There is no food supply, no nutrition. It is a desperate situation to live in a camp because a lot of children die out of malnutrition. Women died with the reproductive health issues. Elderly people didn't have chance to check the medical doctors, no medicine. It is a disaster there. It was wonderful news that in 2007, the United States government and other countries, European countries, including Australia and uh, Canada, they offered to resettle around 60,000 refugees from Bhutan. As soon as I heard that uh, they made this announcement, I applied. You have to apply there. You have to declare yourself that you want to go to the third country resettlement program. And I applied along with my parents. Uh, UNHCR will process you, United mm -hmm. Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. And after that, they would forward it to IOM, International Organization for Migration. And uh, there will be like four or five interviews. And they will basically forward it to the Department of Homeland Security for additional screening. And if they find that, okay, you will clear all kind of screenings and you are safe to travel. It was overwhelming at the time because we were traumatized from back in Bhutan to the camp. And again, we were a little bit uh, scared and worried also because what is going to be the right answer? We, we did not have that kind of information. And whether telling that we were arrested or tortured was the answer going to be good or bad? What would the DHS want? We had no idea about it, but we told the truth, whatever happened, and we didn't have any problem. And uh, after eight months of the application, we were called for an interview, and it didn't take a long time for me to get here. 
before you come to the United States, they give three days cultural orientation. They will teach how to go to the bathroom, how to use the Western, uh, Western appliances. They teach about housing, transportation, uh, employment, everything. They touch with everything to make sure that you will be oriented before you come. And after completing that, they would put us in a flight. And I came here. I had no idea where I was going to be living that night. It was at the middle of the night. And uh, somebody came to the Bradley International Airport uh, from Jewish Family Service. And she said, welcome to the United States. And I'm your case manager working with you. You will have a place to live. We have a Nepali family who is going to be providing food for you tonight and we will talk more in detail in our office next day. That felt like very great to me because it was so welcoming. Being a refugee is a lot of ways it is traumatized and stigmatized. Nobody would care for you, nobody would welcome for you. Getting that opportunity and welcomeness, is, it was touching. Uh, the amount of money I received as a refugee was not sufficient enough for me to have my own apartment. It was only $428 a month, and that is given only for the period of eight months. After six months, you have to start paying the IOM loan, the travel loan. So I have to start my life earning money and support my by myself from the eight months. I came in September and October, November. That time was election time also, and getting to know about um, President Barack Obama was running for the election and all kind of political things were going on. Christmas time, people would come, which, which I never had that opportunity to see how they celebrate Christmas. After three months of my arrival, I found an apartment, three-bedroom apartment where we everybody could live. It was a family of seven, including my brother's child. So we lived there. And when they came there, I made home for them. They were very surprised. And they say, is this our home? Because we had never, we never lived in that kind of place. They are very happy. In fact, I asked my parents that, oh, will you be able to go back to Nepal? We might buy land and you, know, you will be living there in your retired life. And they say, no, 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 we don't want to go. There is no medicine, medical facilities there. There is no peace. There is no security. I was the fourth family when I came in 2008. And now, up to date, it is over 2,000 individuals. They live in three cities, Springfield, West Springfield, and Westfield. I think that for my generation, we will continue to take this tradition of collective society. But I can see that my nephew is eight years old. I don't think that you will be able to continue what I've been doing, it will be difficult. But then again, you know, we will try to install whatever the good things are in our family tradition. We were forgotten refugees from Bhutan and we have no other hopes than to accept this country. And we want to invest in this country. We want to grow in this country. Whatever we do will be for this country because I became US citizen, but I will not be allowed to go to Bhutan and do anything. So whatever I do will be for this community, for this country. I can tell that refugee communities have been valuable employee to the hotels and restaurants and local businesses. 
they have started to go and on their bachelor's degree and master's degree they have started to open up the business stores in the local community i think this will be very good for us very good for everybody let us welcome the refugees from all around the world and thank you united states that was buwan gotam before buwan we heard from josephina lance to see photographs of josephina in buwan and to hear all of the words in transit interviews visit our website at nepr.net where you can also learn about upcoming words in transit events you can also find information about all of nepr's podcasts at nepr.net or on apple podcasts let us know what you think about words in transit review us on apple podcasts or send an email to radio@nepr.net to see additional photographs and to read transcripts of all of our interviews see the words in transit book available from the university of massachusetts press proceeds from the sale of the book benefit the words in transit immigrant scholarship fund at holyoke community college this is our final episode in this series of words in transit Tema and I hope you've enjoyed the 28 stories that we've presented and we hope to return in the future with more. I'm John Vosey. Thank you for listening. The managing director of Words in Transit is Tema Silk. The producer is Kathleen O'Keefe. And we had help on this podcast from Sara Redigieri. Words in Transit is a production of New England Public Radio in collaboration with the Copeland Colloquium at Amherst College. Music